that the real problem we suffer from is selfishness and self-centeredness. The real difficulty is self. Self is the enemy. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives, which is our self, over to the care of God as we understood him. So what it is really asking you to do is to take a position, and the position is subjective. It is not dictatorial. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. From Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas, that was our friend Marty C. from the Great White North that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and he's going to be talking about steps two and three, and you're going to hear so much more from him in just a moment, but... First things first, this episode right here, right now, is being brought to you by Joshua, Anonymous, Lou, Adrian, Jason, Audrey, and Mary Lynn. And you say to yourself, hey, I'm a new listener. What exactly did Joshua and Anonymous and Lou and Adrian and Jason and Audrey and Mary Lynn do to get such recognition on the beginning of this particular here episode where they went to our website soberspeak.com they clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution so thank you so much joshua anonymous now just so you know anonymous is not like the real name it's like somebody who wants to donate anonymously and lou and adrian and jason and audrey and maryland this episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I'm starting to get most of my strength back. For those of you who have listened over the past couple episodes, I've been dealing with uh, COVID for about uh, oh, probably five weeks now or so. And I know there's a lot of people, I know I'm one of millions of people going through this. Um, I still don't feel like I'm all, quite all the way back, but I am getting there. However, that has been the last thing on my mind this week for the most part. And what I mean by that is, um, so I got a call on a Friday night and uh, it was from the lovely Mrs. M. And just for those of you who don't know, that is my wife. And um, she said, uh, John, I've been in a really bad accident. I'm at such and such an intersection. Can you come out here and uh, as soon as you can, please? And obviously, I dropped everything I was doing, got out there. I was out there very quickly. I didn't know what to expect. Um, 
make a long story short as I just got back from the uh, tow place where we went to see the car it has been completely totaled. Um, I'm looking at all the pictures on the inside um, and how she got hit right in the driver's side. She was the only person in the car. Uh, she got hit on the driver's side. All of the airbags went out. Uh, it crushed the side of the car. And um, she is at home and doing well. She's having some uh, post-concussion headaches and such like that. Uh, but overall, she is going to be good long-term, we think. So she got all kinds of bumps and bruises and aches and headaches and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't look like there's anything major uh, long-term, best we could tell right now. And I'm just, uh, oh, I'm just so thankful. Uh, you know, when you go through a moment like that and the all the ups and downs of the week and getting it taken care of and the emotions and such like that, uh, uh, it, it, uh, it, you know, one of the first things for me is uh, I thought about uh, I, I just wanted to to pray for not only uh, my wife and all those around me and uh, share it with some friends and the program and such, uh, but I also uh, wanted to pray for the individual who T-boned her uh, and, you know, hope that everyone's okay is why they call them accidents, right? Uh, none, none of this was done on purpose. Uh, and, you know, we have insurance, we're fortunate there. And, you know, and, and the, the car can be replaced. But obviously, uh, the lovely Mrs. M cannot be replaced. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad that she is doing uh, much better than we anticipated. So anyway, uh, that's a little on my mind. Like I said, I just got back from the tow yard and looking at all of that and uh got me a little uh 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 emotional and it got her emotional too she was looking at it going oh my gosh how did i uh survive that and um um we're just very uh we're just very i don't know fortunate is the word um i just feel blessed uh and um you know we just take all this a day at a time all right so now on to <clears throat> excuse me Marty C. Oh, before I go to Marty C., I want to read something here from the super secret Facebook group that Steve R. posted in there. Got my attention this week. And like I've said before, we have several of these people in there. Uh, but Steve R. is one of the mm, daily reflections kind of guys. Uh, he'll take something from the big book, put a quote in there, and then put some commentary after it. And I think he does this seven days a week. Uh, Steve R. posts, he says, and he's getting this from page 127 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says, although financial recovery is on the way for many of us, we found we could not place money first. For us, material well-being always followed spiritual progress. It never proceeded. Page 127. Let me read that again. Although financial recovery is on the way for many of us, we found we could not place money first. For us, material well-being always followed spiritual progress. It never proceeded. 
Maybe somebody out there needed to hear that today. And then Steve gave some commentary. He says, God and recovery first. Every day, once we, we, once we become sober a few weeks or a few months, the days brighten and we now have hope for the first time in a very long time. But glimmers of hope are not enough to keep us sober for the long term. Good. That's well put, uh, Steve. So we must remain diligent in the working of the steps, living the steps, being in the solution that is saving our very lives. Help one and save two. Happy Tuesday. Thanks, Steve, for posting that. All right, now on to our featured guest, Mr. Marty C. Marty C. is going to be addressing steps two and three of Alcoholics Anonymous. Marty talks about restoration. Um, He talks about two questions one needs to ask themselves or another out of the big book regarding step two. He goes over those. He talks about the bedevilments on page 52. Uh, Using step three, he says, as a diagnostic tool for alcoholics. I like that. And then he talks about the term, we were reborn and what that means to Marty. So buckle up, everybody. Without further ado, I present to you Mr. Marty C., and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody, so we are back again with the one and only, the Mr. Marty C. So Marty C., before we start anything, why don't you go ahead and identify yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live. Well, thanks for having me, John. My name is Marty. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a member of the Prince George Group in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm very, very happy to be here again. Glad to have you again, Marty. So, uh, you know, I want to... So as you're speaking there, I'm thinking about, you know, so we'll text each other. And then right before we got started, you use the word beautiful. You use the word beautiful a lot. Have you always used that word? And do you know where it came from? I don't think I've always used that word. <laughs> you know, uh, in Canada here, we say beauty. He's a real beauty. Or it's a beauty. That's a beauty thing. And, uh, but uh, beautiful has just... Um, it's a perspective, right? And and I think what happens is is if uh, if something just moves along in a real groovy way, and it's just it's right. it's a beautiful thing, you know, it's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah. So, like for example, we were trying to get you some time scheduled. We were going back and forth, having some difficulty. I had to cancel on you last time because. Oh gosh, I can't even remember. I had something going on, but serious. I couldn't make it there. And, and, I, and I actually appreciate it. No. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I reached out, but we get you rescheduled and, uh, you know, you're very gracious about it. Um, uh, and thank you for being the beautiful person you are. Now, the other thing I want to talk about there is that, that hockey shirt that you got on last time I spoke with you. I don't know if you remember this, but you, it was, first of all, it was sub zero temperatures all over North America. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, all over North America. Well, probably not all over North America, but you get the idea. It definitely was in Canada and it definitely was in Texas. However, and you were sitting there with a little short sleeve shirt on. You were about to go play hockey, I think, with your nephew outside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally on the streets because yeah. it was frozen, right? Yeah. Uh, but And today 
you have a hockey, I could tell it's a hockey jersey yeah. or shirt of some sort. Uh, who might you, oh, the Sharks? Yes. Yeah, that's my team. Wait a sec. Now, I, 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 I'm more of an NFL fan, but aren't the Sharks in Florida? No, they're in San Jose. <laughs> oh, okay. My, my apologies. Not a problem. But, not a problem. So, but why wouldn't you be rooting for, uh, you know, Edmonton or, well, I, you know. I, I am. I am now. My poor Sharkies didn't make the playoffs. And, uh, but you have to understand, like, whoa, hockey, you know, it's so massive. And I'm, I'm an actual hockey fan, so I can watch any game and thoroughly enjoy it for the nature of the game. I think it's an absolutely fantastic sport. I think it has everything that uh, one would want in sports, speed and toughness. And uh, it has all that stuff. So, uh, right now, in fact, uh, Florida and Tampa Bay are one-one in the first period, and uh, uh, that that's been a, a phenomenal series. And tonight, we'll come in a sponsor you. Be watching the Edmonton because he's a diehard Edmonton guy. We'll be watching the Edmonton Calgary game. It's just a big part of our culture, Johnny. It really is. Like we yeah. people know that. Like you know, when South Park and that do movies, they always have us carrying hockey yeah. sticks. And all that stuff. <laughs> But it's actually true. Ninety percent of the time, if you contact me, it's I'm going to be doing something either coming back or going to something hockey related. That's great. And if you That's ever, great. I just I don't know if I told you this before, but if you ever want to see something pretty cool, I can't remember what month it was. Uh, inadvertently, uh, there was an article published in the Grapevine called "Fellowship on Ice," and the title of the grapevine uh, issue was uh, fun and sobriety. So they, they like, I just wrote this article for a, a guy who was doing a traditions workshop and he ended up sending it off to the grapevine and it got published. And it's about our big hockey crew here that are all sober guys, sober men and women in AA. There's 90 of us and we get together all the time. We're getting together at 545 tomorrow, actually. So. Now that is a beautiful thing right there. Somehow we dovetailed hockey with the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm sure there was some people right at the beginning going, oh, come on, let's get off the hockey talk. Let's get to the steps. Okay? Wait till you read that article, though, folks. It's it, You got to find that article. If you Google it, Fellowship on Ice, it'll come up and you can get it at the grapevine. It's it's You'll see the passion that goes along with all of this. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. All right. Okay. So last time you and I got together, we, uh, oh, I, I just remembered why I couldn't do it. I was going to a wedding is what I was doing, but nonetheless. Uh, so last time you and I did get together though, we were, uh, uh, we, well, we started to talk about the steps, right? Uh, and we got I thought we'd get a little farther than we got, and this is a very good thing. In fact, your 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 um, episode is called Marty C. Deep Dive Step One, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and so we were able to go through Step One. So let's just go ahead and pick it up from there. Uh, and as you know, Marty, and, and I just want to tell people this: I never know where we're going to. Like you know, I. Uh, we didn't know we were going to talk about hockey on this thing. <laughs> you didn't know I was going to ask you about beautiful or anything like that. You know, it's just kind of, I, I kind of go where my curiosity takes me. And, and mainly, and what we pray, right, right before we start is, 
I don't want to speak for you, but I'm just a goofball up here. And, 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 and I'm, you know, I'm hoping that what we can do together between you and me, Marty, is put down something on a tape, put down something on a recording that could give people hope in all four corners of the world where they may not have any. And, 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 and that's why we're here. And I know step one did that for a lot of people. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to go on into step two. We'll see where we go. Don't know how far we'll get or where we'll get, but we're going to start at step two. You okay Absolutely, with that? Buddy. Absolutely. All right. So step two, you can see what I got right here, right? A big <laughs> book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You've seen one of these things before. Have, have you I not? Have, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Very handy to have. Step two in Alcoholics Anonymous says came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, me and you, Marty, greater than me and you and everybody else could restore us to sanity. What comes to mind? When you, when you first say it, it's, it's, it's this idea of restoration. Um, and this, this idea that somehow wherever and however I've been living my life can somehow be changed and be directed in, in, in a new way. And that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, you know, when, when, we, when we embark upon a conversation of step two, we can never sort of move into it without acknowledging the last part of step one is that our lives were unmanageable. And, and typically, I think I probably ended the talk the last time I was saying that means that my life is unmanageable by me. So then it segues right into that, that I have to kind of come to something that, 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 that there's going to be something that can do this for me because I can't get back to sanity without something. And, uh, uh, you know, when we're, when we're doing this ourselves or experiencing our, this ourselves, oftentimes we understand or can acknowledge it was desperation that pushed us into that. Even if we had religious leanings or historical belief systems that we, we had inside of us, we're still not really looking at that right now. We're looking at the desperation that my life needs to be different. My, I need a restoration to sanity. You know, when you're first getting sober, I don't even think you're thinking about this higher power concept. I think you're thinking about not dying. You know? So I need, my life is, is burnt to the ground and I need to do this. I need to. So when we have desperate people, when we're working with desperate people, uh, we have to, you know, that's when we have to sort of take them into this process of thought because, um, it's very tough if somebody's been around and like say detoxing for a week and a half, two weeks or something like that. And they've been around for a month or two. And then you start going to take them through the steps and they get to the second step. Then it all becomes about this God or this higher power and there's resistance and rejection there. So, but when the desperation's driving the, the conversation, people are absolutely willing to say, I've ruined it all. Please let's try something different. So it's the restoration to sanity that jumps out at me for sure. Wow, that's cool. I, 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 I you know, I, I've heard the word redemption before when describing this step and and describing Alcoholics Anonymous, but the restoration piece is something I, I, I don't. I, I may have heard it before, but I don't remember it. It just hit me when you said that word. Uh, and and it's right there in the step, but I've never used the word restoration uh, to describe it. So, like you said, it's it's coming from a place to where we knew absolutely everything about having living one way of life, so to speak, in the gutter, 
And then we come into this other world where we don't know anything about it. And it's scary for people, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it comes up against like when it's just some of us try to hold on onto our old ideas or that it's old ideas that keep us sort of compelled to darkness. This is the place when we start opening up that door to talk about this power. This is the place where you meet the most resistance. And it's not that it's not that people don't believe. Like it says in our literature, it's just half of our fellowship believed. Like half of our fellowship had a God, which means the other half didn't. So we get to this place, the meeting, the meeting place. And in 12 and 12, it says, this is our actual meeting place. It isn't we all identify with the powerlessness. Our actual meeting place in the 12, 12 and step two is that we're actually coming together. This is the platform where we're starting is that we need a power. That's the platform. You need a power. I need a power. That's what we have in common. Isn't anything about our drinking or anything like that. It has to do with the fact that we all need a power. And uh, and I find it very um, um, wonderfully uh, interesting how this is one of those steps that continues to uh, to, to take life for me in any conversation or, or, or workshops or, or sessions. I love expounding on the ideas with people about this step. Um because it's, I think it's magnificent. It's, it's to me in the process of recovery, it's very quick, but it's incredibly, incredibly important. You know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to sort of put it into any other words than that. Did you have, so well, well describe to me either your relationship with, or a lack of a relationship with a higher power coming into the program. And when you got to this step and what it meant to you, and you saw the word, you know, uh, higher power and such like that, were, were you taken aback by it? Were you excited about it? Well, I grew, I grew up in a Catholic family. And, uh, uh, what I knew all about being a Catholic as a kid was a lot of funerals, a lot of weddings. <laughs> and as an Irish Catholic kid, that was caused for drinking. So, so it was all lumped together, you know, and, and Jesus liked wine and I I liked wine and I, I thought, man, I, I, I got to be connected somehow, you know? <laughs> so that's that, you know, my, my concepts, you know, and I, I do talk about this a lot, but, um, you know, I, I remember being six or seven years old and I, I do talk about this and I'm in, the, in St. Patrick's school is elementary school was very connected to the St. Patrick's church. And, and, uh, uh, we'd have to go there, you know, once a week, at least through the school and, and as family, we were going there. And, and one day we got called into the auditorium and, and, and it was announced that there was a special service we had to attend. And we walked across in our little line, you know, with everybody, all I'm talking little kids, I'm talking about six, seven years old. And uh, we walked into the chapel and there were nine caskets laid out in various sizes at the front of the church. And one of our schoolmates family had, except for her had been entirely engulfed in flames and, and died. And her whole family was obliterated. And it was at the front of the church, right underneath the, the crucifix. And I remember being six and seven and being horrified, horrified with that. And that's still in me. I've got goosebumps right now thinking about it. And, and the, the abject terror that I felt that anything like this could happen to somebody in this world that I thought was a loving world. And I, and I heard Sandy talk about this before Sandy Beach talks about this before when his experience went, and I would look up at the crucifix and there's, there's Jesus on the crucifix with a crown of thorns and blood running down his face and a, and a mark where they had speared him. And he's got his hands and his feet nailed to the cross. And I thought, Oh my God, that's what God did to his son. He loved <laughs> wait till he gets his hands on me. <laughs> you know. And I got this sister, my little sister, she's, she's there. She's having a whole different experience. You know, she, she just singing the songs and the hymns and I'm staring at the crucifix and then a particular incident of the coffins and I'm in, I'm terrified 
I remember one day my alcoholic father was sitting at the table, was into his third or fourth Bloody Mary in the morning, and then mom was getting us all dutied up for church and little ties and jackets. And this is every Sunday. And uh, I think I was probably eight. And I said to my dad, I said, hey, how come you don't have to go to church? And he said, because uh, I don't have to go to church. I'm, 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 I'm the dad. I don't go to church. I said, turn him on. I don't want to go to church. And she goes, Jimmy. And he goes, if he doesn't want to go to church, he doesn't have to go to church. That was the last day I ever went to church. And so my my religious experience was about now that's Catholicism in me the whole time and, and all of my adolescent life and my prison life and all that there was always lots of uh, full gospel around me and and I had all kinds of connections with people that I absolutely adored. I liked watching religious people live. I, I did. And it wasn't that I rejected any of it. I thought I was rejected. I spent a lot of time in the hole in the, in, in the penitentiary and, and and all that was there was a fire retardant blanket and a Bible. And I would read the Bible. And there's not a lot in the New Testament that I'm not comfortable talking about. And what happened was I, all of those years, right up until the time I was about 25 years old, two years after I got sober, I thought those were religious stories that were sold to us as fact. And one day I'm driving down the road and I hear them talk about Jonah and the whale. I'm listening to a radio program and I hear them talking about Jonah and the whale. And because I was a kid and I turned, turned into an adult, I could start, how the hell can a man live in a whale's belly for 28 years? Can't happen. That's ridiculous. Whoever wrote that needs to be corrected immediately on their scientific prowess. And, 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 and I remember thinking to myself, and it hit me, it's a metaphor. And I went back to the, to the, to the literature, the Bible, the big, big book. I went back to that book and I looked and I went, Holy crap, they're talking about being engulfed by self. They're talking about being swallowed up by self. That the beast is not outside in the ocean. <laughs> the beast is the whale of self that lives inside of me. And I went, oh, I get it. I get it. And I began to have this sort of spiritual transition. You know, so when it comes specifically to the second step, blew past it in my first run through. And, and, and as you know, I talked a little bit about the very first time we met. Is that my 12-step experience was non-existent when I first came. I had a two-step experience, step one and 12. I was never challenged about the second step until I met Mark Houston at 14 years sober. And Mark Houston asked me the two questions in step two that are the only things that anybody needs to know. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power? Now, we look at this and we say, do I now believe? 50% of our fellowship does. Well, the 50% that don't, are you even willing to believe? And that's the language our big book uses because it knows how how sort of we have this abject, anarchistic, sort of defiant, rebellious natures. Are you even willing to believe? And that's the question we need to ask our new guys. And that's and then he said, I said, I do believe. I just don't. I never connected. And this is what I said to Mark. He said, then the proposition for you is the second step proposition. God is either everything or else he's nothing. What's your choice? You've, you've talked to me for 15 minutes about a life based on self. And in that, in that you had no acknowledgement that this power even existed. I believe he said you have a Bush League pinch hitter God, as they reference in step seven and the 12 and 12. And that when you get in trouble, you scream out for God. And when you get out of trouble, you take all the credit. I said, yes, that is exactly the case. That is exactly the case. Wasn't I good on that one? You know, it didn't, you know, if I got in trouble and I got out of it and got away with it, it was, I took all the, all the credit. And so um, my mind opened up uh, in uh, 2001 when Mark made that proposition. And, uh, and he said, you, you need to tell me, he said, what's your choice to be? 
he said, no point in going further. We haven't got a whole lot to talk about. If, if I said, God has to be everything. It has to be everything. This power has to be everything. So my experience was kind of laid out like that. You know, when I work with new guys, I've got some different tools and different information than I was given in 1987. It doesn't make anybody wrong or different or anything like that. It's just if we're going to have fidelity to the literature, um, this is what we're instructed to do. And if you if you answer those questions, um, you are now ready to move into step three. And this this sort of transition from step one and the, the, the need for a new manager it, the acknowledgement, do I now believe or am I willing to believe? And then uh, God is that everything is next. That's the acceptance that there is another manager. There's going to be another manager that can restore me to sanity. I have to do some things to get close to that, to that relationship. And that's, again, that's a sort of an acknowledgement about this drives us into this third step with an absolute necessity and a vengeance. You, no place to slow down or stop. Let me do a little break here. Okay. We will be continuing our conversation with Marty C. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. There you can find lots of other resources as well. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. All right, now back to Marty. Okay, so... I hear uh, a lot of conversation about that word insanity in the second step, you know, restore us to sanity. Uh, you talked about the restoration earlier. So why don't you go ahead and give your take? <laughs> I know what I think. Uh, I kind of, of, uh, of the, the Joe and Charlie um, kind of, uh, stance is that you know if you put a, a glass of uh, water down in front of me and you put a shot of tequila and i pick up the water i'm restored to sanity but w- what is, what is your thought on that well i really I, I think you're absolutely true our our, our founders and, and the writers of this this literature they, they were never intending on calling us crazy uh that that's what we take out of that right oh my god i'm not insane and people re- reject that it's like because they, they, they have an idea, again, an old ideas about what insanity looks like. Well, there is, it only takes a couple of minutes when you're working with somebody to talk about that tequila water experiment. And, and in their own lives, they have to come up with it in their own lives. I can share with them the absolute insanity as I experienced it about the first drink. I can share that with them. But until they acknowledge that they looked into the eyes of the people they loved, that they they promised they were never, ever, ever going to do it again. And and then three hours later, or three days later, or three weeks later, they were jacked right up and they're pounding on the bar like Bill saying, I don't have any idea how this happened again. Until they can acknowledge that that in itself is indeed an insane level of, of function. In all other aspects, as their book says, they can look like pretty normal guys. Now, that's not everybody because I sure didn't look like any normal guy. But, but it, it, it's for most for most of us, it says, in all, and it says that in the doctor's opinion, most of these guys, they look pretty good when they're not doing this stuff. But why? And and, 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 and the thing that we really harp on when, in the first, when we're talking about the first step is why, under the circumstances that we know to be true, the loss of a job, the loss of a family, the loss of the love and respect of our fellows, would we ever, ever, 
pick up another drink. That first drink we take, we're taking it stone cold sober. The physical allergy and the phenomenon of craving has nothing to do with it. It's now based on the mental obsession. And they're talking about mental obsession, which is an insane uh, concept. It's an, it's, it formulates insanity. It's what insanity, the insanity we're talking about in our 12 steps is. And there are others because I've been sober for a while. Well, try this on for size. If you look on page 52 and then you see the bedevilments, that if I'm living a life that way, day after day after day after day on page 52 in the bedevilments, if that's the way my life looks sober, two years, five years, 25 years, 35 years, there's an insanity that's occurring that that I have to, again, I have to acknowledge and can do that through the second step. I come to believe that only a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And what's the sanity? The sanity is no more obsession and no more of like all those things it talks about. That stuff can be removed as well, you know, and that's, again, that's how we talk when we're talking about long-term sobriety. We got to go to that place, our powerlessness around these circumstances. And then we go into that only God, only a power, only something greater than ourselves can restore us to some level of, of no obsession. Let's take a shift. Let's take a, a turn a corner here, if you will, and go to step three. Uh, so step three, uh, for those of you, uh, and we have people who are listening to this all the time that are kind of, it's their first exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous. And in the beginning, when I first started this thing, I thought I was going to, you know, I, I, I don't know what I thought, but I thought it was going to be like me and my buddies kind of listening in, right? <laughs> and what I noticed is, is that there's a lot of people, this is their first, they don't even go to meetings sometimes. And this is what they, this is where they hear about the big book of Alcoholics mm -hmm. Anonymous. So uh, step three says, you know, made a, uh, a made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now there's so much in the book about this, right? With the, you got the actor and you got the third step prayer and you have the selfishness piece. This is really one of the pieces of the big book that is talked about quite a bit in meetings. Uh, I mean, it's all talked about a bit, but it's all on pages. Let me look 60, to 60, 60, 61, 62, 63, all through there. So if you're, uh, if you want to look this up in the book, you can, once again, it's Alcoholics Anonymous pages 60, 61, 62, 63, but go ahead, Marty. Well, quite simply put, um, there's no reason to even consider making this decision if your life is in an absolute debacle. Um, and, True. That's true. Yeah. You know, people don't there. Why would if you're living comfortably uh, and there's no uh, anyway, that's just such a good way to put it. <laughs> well, because it makes it makes no sense. It goes back to the second part of that first step into the place where we're do you now believe you willing to believe God is everything or he's nothing. And, and, and then now I got to move into this. I have to do this fairly quickly, John. And I'm not a guy who rushes people through steps. I just take them through the steps right away. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if that's the same thing or different, but I know no. that if you're powerless and you need to get connected to a power that I can't give you three days, four days, five days, because after a few nights sleep and a couple cheeseburgers, you start thinking about drinking. 
Right. And 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 yep. I lose you, and it's like, man, really, oh. you know, I waited for the shakes to stop, and all I can. Now I'm waiting too long. I don't even wait for that thing now anymore. It says our, our, our brain must be unfoggy. I mean, that's what it does say. So a person can be a little bit fogged when you're taking them for a bite to eat or something like that, and giving them a hug and, and telling them you're going to see them tomorrow, and and maybe tomorrow you, you spend a little bit of time asking some questions about a family and stuff. But on the third or fourth day, you aren't doing this, and I'm telling you, I do this in my front car, my front seat of my car. Uh, the first three steps in about 10 minutes. And here's the thing is because that's what Mark did to me in the hotel room, 14 right. years sober. And no one had ever yeah. done that with me, for me, to me, nobody. So you acknowledge that, that uh, God is everything or else he's nothing. It says we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God without going on and on. Cause I could, I could do a two day workshop on just this step. It tells us that, that the real problem that we suffer from isn't our alcohol. In fact, this is where you learn that alcohol was your solution. That the real problem we suffer from is selfishness and self-centeredness. The real difficulty is self. Self is the enemy. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives, which is our self, over to the care of God as we understood him. So what it is really asking you to do is to take a position. And the position is subjective. It is not dictatorial. It's not like I'm going to get this sponsor. I'm going to join this group. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's about taking a position. And it uses it over and over again. When it talks about the actor, they're talking about the actor trying to direct. And they're talking about the student trying to teach. And they're talking about the child trying to parent. And that's how we've lived our lives, our whole lives. And we get to this place, we're going to, it's, we're being asked to take a subjective role here. So God is a father. I am the child. He is a principal. I'm the agent. He's the teacher. I'm the student. So we're asked to take this subjective role. And if we take that subjective role, it looks like this. <sighs> Our shoulders come down and we just sit there and we wait to be told what to do. And that sounds horrific for anybody who these self-starters out there who struggle with the sobriety. You know? it, it sounds terrible. But I'm going to tell you something. It only lasts for as long as it lasts. The subjective role you learn very, very quickly. It's exactly where you had you were intended to be anyway. And all the blessings and the good of life begin to sort of fall upon you. And sometimes so much so you explode from joy. It's too much sometimes. You know, you say, holy shit. And you see people suffering and you you wish, man, I wish they could have a little bit of this, you know. But you know, that 60 to 63 in your book should be and will be the most marked up, highlighted scribbled upon coffee stained tear stained part of your entire 164 pages of your book and the reason is because it's about the negotiation of a self-will life or the negotiation of a spirit-filled life it's that's it you've come to a crossroads you've come to a turning point we stood at the turning point we asked us care and protection with complete abandon this is what we're talking about here when we get to that place i'm, I'm desperate i'm gonna die i need this power how do i get that power it's like we sit and we have this conversation for a few minutes about the selfishness and self-centeredness of your life and then we say a prayer you know okay so i want to ask you about this this is kind of a part sponsorship part third step prayer question. And what I mean by that is when you get to this place in the book, 
and you're working with a guy, uh, I just want to put some kind of real meat on this, so to speak, practical uh, application to this. What do you do? Do you do you kneel with a guy? Do you? And by the way, once again, page sixty three. It's uh, the third step prayer of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you've never seen it, you may want to pause right here, go look at it while Marty's talking about this. But what do you do with a guy when you're going through this part of the book? Okay, just before we get there, John, I want to I want to make something very clear because I am, uh, uh, I have as much fidelity to the book as I can. Just before we get to this third step prayer, it says, if we take such a position, so that's why I said it's a position we take. The book says, if we take this position, incredible things start to happen. And it goes on to describe in those third step, this third step promises about the way your life is going to look. And then it says, we were reborn. It says that before the prayer. That's not something that I sell short because, because here's the thing is you're in the car with the guy. Mostly this stuff happens in my car. It's happened in Tim Horton's coffee shops. If you have those down your way, it'd be like, be like a Denny's or something. You're going, it's like Dunkin' yeah, Donuts down here. Going to the bathroom. Two guys walking into the bathroom and said, well, maybe out in a couple minutes. And, but, <laughs> but the answer to your question is yes. Now I ask them. Here's the thing. Here's my experience. And, and all you folks out there who work with new guys, please hear this and understand why I'm saying it. When I get somebody and and, and they've called me and they, I said, okay, let's get together. And we sit and we talk. And then we said, okay, I'm, I'm going to take you for a run through the steps. And I go and I see them from within a few days. When we do that, uh, we're doing it right now. Like we're not, I'm not taking a step a week or anything to, to you know, it's, it's happening right now. And if the person comes along with me through steps one and two, I would never stop there. So I'm saying to them, I'm saying, look, uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but uh, would you get down on your knees with me and, and say a prayer? Well, I don't pray, man. I said, okay, how about you just get down on your knees? I'll say the prayer. You let me know if there's anything that, uh, yeah, okay. 99% of the guys get down on their knees with me. Now, I want you to think about this. I meet people. They've been sober for four years. They've never taken the 12 steps, but they want to have a 12-step experience. So they call Marty Cosgrove up to have a 12-step experience. And I say the same thing to them. I don't change my my approach. <laughs> I think the approach is the approach. These guys, with all of their sobriety and their old ideas, I get to this place and I say, would you say, would you get on your knees and say a prayer with me? And says, no, I, I don't get on my knees, man. I said, well... Okay, I, I didn't. I wasn't really asking. I, I know it sounded like an ask, but I wasn't really asking. <laughs> I'm going to get on my knees, and well, I don't pray either, man. I don't really, uh, I don't really pray. You can feel the resistance once the person is five weeks, ten weeks, twenty weeks sober. You can feel the resistance to step three. Step three is truly a turning point. So when I ask that question, John, I know whether they're going to be moving forward or not by their response. I know. I know what their fourth step is going to look like by how they respond to this request that I'm making. And because it is about a position, it's about abject humility. It's about letting it go. It's about making a decision to turn your will. And you say, how would I do that? I'll talk about that in a second. I mean, when I was getting sober, I would go to tons of meetings because I love meetings. And there'd be all these old coots and good dudes, man, all old guys. And I, I was a young guy, right? And I'm, I'd be going through some stuff with the wife or the girlfriend or job, money. And I'd say to them and I'd tell them, rrr, 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 I'd bitch and whine and moan and complain. And, and they'd turn to me and they'd say, oh, you got to turn it over, son. <laughs> Pardon? Turn it over. I'd say, 
what the hell does that mean? And they would say, well, I don't know. That's just what they told me to do. <laughs> you know? Nobody knows the answer to that question. It's like, how do you turn it over? Well, people who take the steps know. Here's the thing, <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead. But the only way you can tell that you've actually done this is if you get up from doing this and you're writing a four step, you're doing a grudge list. It's the only way you can tell. Okay. There is no. I hear people saying for years, one, two, three, out, one, two, three, out. There's no such thing as one, two, three, out. If you didn't do this in the third step and have that experience moving into the fourth, you didn't do step three. And if you didn't do step three, you probably didn't need to because step two, you weren't really kind of being honest about God is everything or nothing. You thought, well, God is most things, but not all things. And if that's true, then you probably didn't believe that your life was unmanageable by you. You were going to get God in the game for a little bit of the stuff, but you're going to do most of it. And if that's true, you probably are an alcoholic or you're not powerless. And if that's true, you need to drink. You don't need the 12 steps. And that's how they always, each step works that way in reverse. It'll push you right back to the step before and say, man, you didn't need to do this. Like, you didn't need to do this. You didn't need to do that. I was talking in a meeting the other night and and the guy whom I love very, very dearly, Chris, Chris S., he, he said, uh, you know, there are people in Alcoholics Anonymous who have to do this stuff. They have to take these steps. It's not optional. They have to do it. And those are the people that I gravitate mostly towards. That's what he said. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you know what? I, I think that that's true about me, too. That's, that's, that's the sense that I get as well. So this is the place. We, they say we lose a lot of people right here, right? But this is the place where, where you know, it's the last time we're going to be sort of working solo uh, on some decision-making. And the one decision we're asked to make is to turn our will and our life with care of God. And then you have these ding-dongs who have been saying for years, don't make any major decisions in the first year. You ever hear that? Oh, yeah. Lip-flapping party line crap. It's like, don't make any decisions in the first year. It's like... How about this one? We made a decision to turn our will, to turn our everything will. I do in my life, everything that's going on over to God, you know? I'm all my thoughts, all my actions, I'm going to make that decision, but I better not get in a relationship. Or, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. And uh, anyway, so we get to that place. We were reborn. We asked the person to commit this way. And then we, we, we get into the, into the actual prayer. And the prayer tells us a lot about what our problem is. That prayer can be used to um, diagnose any alcoholic I know. Any alcoholic I know. You could use that for a diagnostic step. Even I think even more so than the first step. Because the first step, you can hide some drunkenness in there. In the first step, you can hide some drinking problems and difficulties with alcohol in there. But this one, you can't hide. What do you mean by that? Diagnose. Okay, so it says... God, I offer myself up to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self. self. That's the diagnosis. If you don't believe that you need to be relieved of the bondage of self or that there is a bondage of self, you probably had a drinking problem because you're not, you didn't understand that 60 to 63. And I would suggest you go back to the ABCs and come through it again. And our book, as you know, in its original form said, it went right to the ABCs and it said, if you're not convinced about this stuff, man, reread this to this point or throw the book away. Do you remember it used to say that? It says, yeah. reread this. And if you're not still not convinced, throw the book away. You don't need it. And I agree with that stuff. And it's like, it's because I'm not in the membership drive for AA. I think AA is for alcoholics. It needs to be for alcoholics. You know, I just think that that's the way it is. And so we say, relieve me of the bondage of self. 
so that I may better do thy will. So now I'm into this deal. I'm into this bargain and I've taken this position. Self is the only thing that's going to get in the way of me and, and, and achieving anything in this position so that I may, may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties. So I'll have guys who are 10 days sober and I'm taking them through this work and, and they'll say, well, well, I still got a bunch of difficulties. And I'll say, oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the tidal wave that's going to come in behind you. But what about the ones you had 11 days ago? Oh, what do you mean? I was drunk. I was screwed up. I said, yeah, but what happened? I was screaming at the kids. I, I you know, are your kids talking to you? Yeah, they're happy I'm in AA. Take away my difficulties. Oh, what about your money? You didn't show up at work. Did you keep your job? Yeah. Take away my difficulties. This is 10 days in, you jackass. 10 days in. I have to convince you that things aren't already better. You take away my difficulties. And I'll let people know it was you that did that. And that's the bargain we make in step three. And that's so I think diagnostically, I think that this is this is a huge piece. You can see people reject it, you can see people bucket, and then and then as a sponsor. Sometimes I'm on the fence with this, John. I don't know whether it's my job to convince them they're alcoholic or whether it's my job to convince them to continue to try living a life based on self so that they can find out themselves. The latter is much more dangerous than the former. In Outside of AA. Inside of AA, the problem is, is that when a non-alcoholic comes to AA and, and, and continues to qualify and do the things they're told and all that kind of stuff and, and, uh, and they're not actually alcoholic, uh, sometimes they sponsor other people. And when that happens... Um, you end up with this sort of murky lineage where it gets, it gets pretty muddy. You know, the, the message, the message gets lost, not drinking is the objective, you know, and, and for anybody who's listening around, I, I don't believe that that was ever the objective. Alcohol was my solution. I believe alcohol saved me from dying of alcoholism. I believe it saved me from killing myself a lot. So I sit here now in, 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 the, in basking in the sunlight of a new solution. And really the question is how to get from there to there. There's that term, like you, you've already mentioned it. We were reborn during the third step or right before the third step prayer. And there's a lot of, uh, as you know, kind of, um, prejudice, if you will, against that particular term. You know, we got to remember it was also written in 1939, I guess, or right in that area. So what do you say to people who kind of struggle with that particular term? And and or what does it mean to you, that term, we were reborn in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous? Well, it's one of the ones that I can, I can my, myself personally can uh, feel a lot of kinship with. Uh, in July the 16th, 1987, I was in a jail cell and I had been filled my entire life with a blackness and a darkness and a, and a, and a self-loathing and a, and a hatred that I, I think I told you before I was diagnosed in 19 as sociopathic. And so I was, it was under the, under, it was the understanding that I was broken inside and I bought into that. And, uh, on July the 16th, 1987, when I crumbled in that jail cell that day and started screaming out for, for something, something came. And I have been reborn since that day to this. There is no doubt mm-hmm. in my mind that whatever the old ideas and the old concepts. And here's the interesting thing is that the longer I stay here, so the, the, I realize that the only thing that ever gives me or anybody else any trouble is old ideas. When it said some of us tried to hold on to old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely, I thought that was like, a little small part of what we're trying to do here. Now I'm starting to realize it's everything. I'm going through something right now. And somebody said to me the other night, it's just, it's just your old ideas. Some a guy that I do my workshops with Brian, he said, it's just your old ideas. And I thought I'm sober 30. No, no. How can that be? And I drove home and thought, 
son of a bitch. <laughs> it's my old ideas that a family should be this way and people should be like this. And they're old ideas. It doesn't matter whether they're right or not. It's just that they're old ideas. So this thing about being reborn, uh, I know that in my experience, that's what happened. And at 14 years sober, I was born again and born again and born again. And here's what I seek. I seek to be born again. I seek to be born again. The best days I have, John, are the ones where I'm born again in the morning. The ones that are not attached to the yesterday at all and that have no fear or, or, or trepidation about the tomorrow. I am born again. This is a new day. And that sounds very corny to the new guy. It sounds very unrealistic. But all you have to do is start recognizing your literature and recognizing we're always talking about getting into the now. We're always talking about being present right here, right now. And that's what being reborn is. It has nothing to do with seeing Jesus or the lights or the skies part. <laughs> it has to do with the, acknowledge, the acknowledgement that I'm right here, right now. And as soon as that happens, you're reborn. Every moment that happens, you're reborn. And um, when I see people that bucket, to be honest with you, I'll be completely honest with you. I've never seen, I, as soon as you ask the question, I thought, hey, I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever come up against that, that sort of a uh, prejudice about that term, like a born again Christian or reborn. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever come up against that. Uh, when I go back to it now, when I'm working with guys, look at that, look at that promise. We were reborn. Most of them get as enthusiastic about it, hearing it as I am about saying it. And I, and, and, and they go, how, how, tell me more, tell me more. And I go, will you do this third step prayer with me? Like I said, most of the guys go, yeah, absolutely. And then there's the other guys that have been sober for a little while. They go, no, no, I don't do that. Though. I don't get on my. <laughs> so being, but being reborn is really a state of consciousness. It's about awareness and it's about, it's about being in the now. That's, that's for people who've been around here for a little while. If you don't think you've been reborn, you're strapping yourself to yesterday and tomorrow. I, I, I heard a speaker, Kurt Z, say a little while ago, if, if you're in yesterday or tomorrow, you're leaving God behind in today. You're leaving God here. You're wherever God, God is always only in the now. So the moment you start thinking about regret or yesterday or the past or about the future, you're leaving God there. Can't take God with you to those two places. You just can't. And we do spend a lot of time in those two eternities, you know, as much as I'm not a big fan of the uh, yesterday, tomorrow, and today, or tomorrow, or whatever that is. <laughs> it's it's not wrong about that. Those are two eternities that we can't spend any time in. Well, as usual, Marty, I really enjoyed this. So, you know, I want to tell you also that when we got on, uh, we were talking about several different things and you know you had even mentioned about you know you seem like you you know keep uh, several irons in the fire and i do and i have throughout this week and the reason i the only reason i'm mentioning that right now is because um i knew we were recording today uh i uh, i've been going through some decision making process on some life transition things and i had a lot of iron i have a lot of irons in the fire and i was thinking about spending work uh, uh dealing with those things and as usual when i will just back up and do the right thing and think about getting an episode on the books to share with the sober speak listeners spending some time with someone uh, as quality as you, my perspective on it just changes, right? I feel completely different. My shoulders are relaxed. Uh, 
I have taken my eye off of all those things that I needed needed to get done. <laughs> and uh, I have so much enjoyed this, and I I, I appreciate you. You're, you're really a good guy. Oh, I appreciate it, Johnny. And I wish you well in those endeavors, too, Whatever whatever's going on there, that uh, you, you just let it happen. You know, just... Well, we'll talk about it when we get off mic here. I don't want to put it out on uh, the- uh, can, I say one, for, can I say one more thing? Yeah. I want to be clear about step three, in case you ever have me back to talk about anything else, is that when we say that prayer, that's not the end of step three. If you look at your literature and you go to page 64, anybody's listening, it says, next, we launched on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. It says, though our decision, so we're still talking about step three here, though our decision, our step three decision was a vital and crucial step. How important is that? A vital and crucial step. It's not going to have any permanent effect unless it once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. I want people to hear that because there's your connection. When I said earlier, these are not static steps. You don't go one, two, three out. It says right there, unless it once followed by this strenuous effort, you need to make a grudge list there of all your resentments. You're being introduced now to step four. But unless you actually start the grudge list, you haven't taken step three. People will say to me, how do I even know? How do I know? Because they think I'm saying they're going to feel the power and the presence of God once they say that prayer. I say, no, you will begin to act in a very different way. Well, what do you mean? You're going to write this stuff down, but I don't write stuff down. But you're going to. Isn't that spiritual? (laughs) It's a, whoa, it's changed. It's everything. You know, it's a different, a whole different life. You were reborn. You're writing stuff down. Who'd have thought? Anyway, that's what I want. Yeah, that's what my... No, no, no. I, I get it. And that's exactly what my sponsor said to me when we were done with step three. I mean, it, he goes, I don't even want to do step three with you unless you're committed to yeah. going out and doing the four step. Yeah. He kind of uh, preconditioned me. And I said, I get it. And I was ready to go do that. Yeah. beautiful. All right. So page 164 of the big book here, we'll wrap it up. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Marty, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. As always, lovely to hear from Mr. Marty, and uh, we will be having him back in the near future. I do not, we do not want you sharing your gossip, but we would love for you to pause your device and share this episode with a friend and or a family member. Guess what? It may be just what they need today. Now onto a little bit of a listener feedback Barry writes in, (laughs) I love this one, Barry said, the title line is, hello, old chap, and he says, well, tally-ho, Jono, thank you, Barry, I'm not used to being called Jono, but I like it, and he says, me old China cup of tea, (laughs) And then he says, so our old friend, Mr. C-19, paid you a visit, huh? Yes, Mr. C-19, the COVID-19, paid me a visit. And I know Mr. Barry went through the same thing. And uh, 
<laughs> that I've not heard of COVID called Mr. C-19. And then he says, the demons of Omicron or Omicron, how are are truly floating around Texas. Yes, those demons are floating here. But you know what is interesting? I had taken a, uh, I don't know where it came from. It could have got, I had to take a business trip to uh, uh, New York the week before. And uh, it could have been from uh, <laughs> New York, but it could be in Texas. I don't know. It could have been on the plane on the way back in between. God only knows. But anyway, he says, I hope you're feeling better, old chap. Chin up and see you in Berlin. Now, I don't get that one, Barry. You're going to have to write me back. You say chin up and see you in Berlin. I know what chin up means, right? Keep your spirits up. But see you in Berlin, I don't get it. Anyway, he says, signing off London, Barry, from across the pond. He is in London, obviously. And then he puts down here, sober speak tribe, stay alive with five exclamation parks. And then he says, big shout out to David G. David G is one of his favorites for sure. And he wanted to make sure David got mentioned in here. In fact, I copied David on some communication we sent back to uh, Barry. And then he's got, oh gosh, all, all of the different emojis, a cowboy hat, smiley face, uh, a, a guy wiping, a smiley face wiping his nose, a clapping, a cup of coffee. Coffee, uh, a rainbow, and then a, uh, I think that's like a nurse's hat or something. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but anyway, thanks for all the emojis. Appreciate you writing in, Barry. Um, Todd writes in, and he says, hi, John. All is very well. I, John, celebrated three years of sobriety on May 6th. Well, God bless you, Todd. That is absolutely fantastic. It leaves me speechless with a higher power in my life. I never deserved his love, his mercy, and his grace, but he still gave it to me. I'm going to read that again. I never deserved his love, his mercy, and his grace, but he still gave it to me. I'm in the same boat, Todd. Why he reached down and picked me up by the scruff of the neck and brought me into Alcoholics Anonymous and has been with me for a long time now. I don't know. I didn't deserve it either, my friend, and I get your sentiment. He says, I just try to honor him and everyone with my thoughts and my actions now. Thanks for your help. Uh, namaste hands. Keep up the good work, John. Little huggy emojis. And everybody sends me a, a, to a Todd. And, and he also has the... Uh, <laughs> The emoji that has the <laughs> the cowboy hat on it. <laughs> I don't really wear cowboy hats, but I understand that it is uh, kind of synonymous with uh, uh, Texas. But anyway, thank you so much, Todd, for writing in. Tony writes in, and his subject line is, Thank you, the program brings us closer to God. He says, hi, John, I was listening to PJ's episode, that's from a couple of episodes back, and he says, as usual, so much resonates with me. As you may be able to guess, I'm back in Glasgow now. When I left on Friday, the last time I was here, I got home and my dad had been taken into the hospital on Monday, and I got over from Norway on Wednesday. That was three weeks ago. As Bob described in his nightmare, and he's talking about um, 
Dr. Bob. Uh, the program brings us closer to God. For this, I am grateful. It is week three now of my dad in the hospital with three significant infections and ongoing loss of mobility. He seems to be at peace out with his episodes of delirium, and he has spoken of his mother and brother, and also the journey is going to be okay. Oh, wow. I don't know what's around the corner, John. I'm almost praying for the inevitable for, uh, I am almost praying for the inevitable for his own peace. As I said before, it sounds nuts, but yes, I have a good degree of serenity. I have to, otherwise, I have to, otherwise I drink and go batshit crazy. Take care, my friend. You provide so much report, uh, support. Uh, the few of us that write, communicate, are one thing. The massive amount of people you help without feed, feedback are probably 100-fold. You are a star, John. Thank you and best regards, Tony D. Well, my friend, you're the star. Um, um, it sounds like you are working through this most difficult time with so much grace, and um, uh, my, my hats are off to you. And, and you're right, uh, there are very few people that listen to actually write in. I'm glad that you're one of them. And if you're one of the hundredfold out there and you're listening, go ahead and write us in. John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, everybody. God bless you. That's another week of... Sober Speak, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And um, may God bless you and keep you until then. Be well. Love to you guys.